stand as you are able for the gospel. From Matthew chapter 21. When Jesus entered the temple, we're a little bit crazy loud there, huh? I'm going up to fix it. Thank you. When Jesus entered the temple, the chief priests and the elders of the people came to him as he was teaching and said, By what authority are you doing these things? And who gave you this authority? Jesus said to them, I will also ask you one question. If you tell me the answer, then I will also tell you by what authority I do these things. Did the baptism of John come from heaven, or was it of human origin? And they argued with one another. If we say from heaven, he will say to us, why then did you not believe him? But if we say of human origin, we are afraid of the crowd, for all regard John as a prophet. So they answered Jesus, we do not know. And Jesus said to them, neither will I tell you by what authority I am doing these things. What do you think? A man had two sons. He went to the first and said, son, go and work in the vineyard today. He answered, I will not. But later he changed his mind and went. The father went to the second son and said the same. And he answered, I go, sir. But he did not go. Which of the two did the will of his father? They said, the first. Jesus said to them, truly I tell you, the tax collectors and the prostitutes are going into the kingdom of God ahead of you. For John came to you in the way of righteousness, and you did not believe him. But the tax collectors and the prostitutes believed him. And even after you saw it, you did not change your minds and believe him. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, O Christ. You may be seated. What do you think? Which of the two do the will of his father? Personally, I think both of the vineyard owner's sons are kind of rats. I mean, it's obvious the second son fails to do the will of his father. He literally doesn't do what he says he's going to. And maybe he had every intention to go do the work in the vineyard. Maybe he was like me when I planned to do the laundry in our house. I have every intention to do the work. I have every intention to act. But sometimes other things get in the way. I get a phone call, baby Hadley starts crying, or maybe I realize that Grey's Anatomy started up this week and it's on demand and I just found myself on the couch for two hours. <laughs> Things come up. Either way, sometimes we have every intention to do what we say we're going to do and we fail. But maybe the second son got distracted. Maybe he had other duties that he took upon himself instead, and maybe he just found something better to do. Or. Maybe he had no intention to do as he claimed. Maybe he thought of himself as too good for that particular job in the vineyard. Maybe he thought his dad was being ridiculous to ask him to do such a thing, and he just said what he needed to say to get out of the conversation. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> if you've ever had teenagers, or have known teenagers, or for most of us when we were teenagers, this might be a familiar scenario. I think I can remember at least once or twice saying, fine, I'll go clean my room right now. And then storming up to my room to sit on my bed and do anything but that. I have an aversion to cleaning and chores, I think, a little bit. Amen. Why would the second son 
was straight out lying to his father about his intention, or he just failed to do as he planned, we know the answer to Jesus' question, which of the two do the will of the father? The elders and chief priests in the temple say that it's the first son, because he, in fact, did the actual work. But any parent will say, sure, he technically did the father's will, but this was not an obedient son. Obedient would have been to say, sure thing, dad, and then go and do the thing. When I was a kid and my mom told me to go brush my teeth, if I stomped my feet and said no, it didn't really matter if I eventually ended up brushing my teeth. I was still grounded for not respecting what she asked. But Jesus doesn't ask which of the two sons were obedient. He asks which does the father's will. And what's the father's will? In the parable, his will is that his sons get some work done in the vineyard. And what about God the father? How might we, as God's children, do God's will. There are many ways we might live into God's will in our lives, and I think each of our readings today give us some insight. Looking at Ezekiel, Philippians, and Matthew, each give us a glimpse into three ways we can participate in God's will for us. We can act, we can serve, we can believe. In our text from Ezekiel, speaking through the prophet, God sounds a lot like a parent who is exhausted with their kids. The people of Israel have been moaning and complaining, and to be fair, they're dealing with some pretty big suffering at this point in scripture. They have been exiled from their homes, and they blame their ancestors and God for their current predicaments. They claim that they are being punished for the sins of their fathers, that that's why they're experiencing what they're experiencing. How unfair God is being to them. The Israelites are quoting Exodus, they're quoting scripture that says that God will visit the iniquity of fathers on the children and the children's children. And as we read this text today, there are many other texts, including Ezekiel, that tell us that God doesn't hold us accountable for what our parents do. But history does. There are a lot of ways in which the sins of history are affecting us today. We can talk about big issues like addiction, racism, xenophobia, sexism, economic inequality, the environment, the list goes on and on. But what Ezekiel is saying is not that history doesn't have an effect on the lives of those living now, it's that the Israelites and we are called to do something more than complain about it. We are called to do more than just say you're going to do our laundry and then find something better to do. Ezekiel highlights to the people of Israel that, yes, they are suffering, but they are also responsible. They are also called to do God's will. They are called to act. God, speaking through Ezekiel, tells the people of Israel and tells us, Get yourselves a new heart and spirit. Turn and live. Act. Don't just talk about your intentions to act. Don't just talk about your intentions to be good or righteous. Our Father's will for us is not to blame the effects of sin in our world on just those who came before us. We can see the way history has affected us, and of course, we can understand the implications of all of that, but God doesn't want us to just complain or just talk. God doesn't want us to be like the second son, just saying what we would like to do. For Ezekiel, participating in God's will in our world means to change, to change our hearts, our spirit, and our actions. It means for us to do more than talk, we are called to act. For Paul, in his letter to the church in Philippi, participating in God's will in our world means to serve. To serve as Jesus serves us. And that is no easy task. 
The middle chunk of our text today from Philippians is actually a hymn that Paul writes. It's a song that he hopes the church will sing about who Jesus is and what Jesus has done for us. And before he breaks out into song about Jesus' incredible grace and love, Paul tells that church what he hopes for them. He says, Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility regard others as better than yourselves. Let each of you not look to your own interests, but to the interests of others. Let the same mind be in you that was in Christ Jesus. And his hymn describes Jesus as not using his equality with God to exploit, but instead he describes Jesus as emptying himself, as becoming a slave, a servant. For Paul, this is one of the most important expressions of God's will. It's service. It means not regarding ourselves as better than others, as too good for certain work. It means not saying we're going to clean our room and then reading a book instead. For Paul, through the will of God, our divine parent means to serve, to serve God, to serve each other, and to serve those outside our walls. And often, it means serving in ways that fulfill us. On Friday, I got to spend a few hours helping out at Catlin Elementary's Harvest Festival, and I had a wonderful experience. I got to be in charge of the seed booth, which basically meant that these little kids came up and were picking beans out of pods and sunflower seeds out of whatever it is that has sunflower seeds in it. I'm not sure what that's called. There was actually a moment where the leader came up and said, what else can we do with these seeds, kids? You know, we can eat them. And I was like, ah, uh, we can sort them? He's like, you can plant them. I'm like, oh yeah, that's a thing you can do with seeds. I had a wonderful time. I left feeling awesome, feeling like I had been filled by giving this time. And so sometimes when we serve, we are blessed in our giving. And sometimes when we give of ourselves, when we serve, it's not so great. I heard some of our other volunteers who gave of themselves that day didn't have as good of a time as I did. And a few summers ago, when I was on internship, we went on a mission trip to LA. And on one of the mornings, our group woke up at 4 a.m. to go to a soup kitchen to serve. And that was an experience that I had of serving that was not fulfilling. Because as we were serving breakfast, we were tired and we were excited. And those who came down the line, some were happy and grateful, some were kind, some were just quiet or dismissive. But more often than I would have ever expected, there were some people who we served who were downright abusive to us. I had people cussing me out because I didn't give them a double serving of melons. One of our kids who was serving eggs had someone swearing at them every five minutes. It was a rough morning, and it was not fun. It wasn't fulfilling, and I'm going to be real honest. There were a few times where I felt myself feeling a little self-righteous, a little better than. My regard for myself was a little higher than for the guy who was dropping F-bombs at me about melons. And then I watched that same gentleman go to his seat, take a bite out of his melon, and tuck the rest into his pocket to save for later. And I remember that this might be the only fruit that man has today or this week. And then I remembered the reason I had woken up at 4 a.m. that day was not to feel good. Sometimes when we serve, it's really fun. It's fulfilling. We can see how we are blessed in our giving of our time. And sometimes we serve because that's God's will for us. Sometimes it means serving those who are ungrateful or serving in a way that we might feel above. And it means serving as we are able to serve. Because the truth is, according to Paul, we shouldn't consider ourselves above anyone because even Jesus, who has equality to God, participated in God, the divine parent's will, by serving. Our text from Philippians shows us another way to do God's will. We do God's will when we serve. 
And the third way our readings give us that we participate in God's will in our world, we do what the chief priests and the elders in Matthew couldn't. We believe. We believe in the divine authority of Jesus in our lives. That this Son of God came to earth, came to humankind as humankind in order to save us. In order to save us from our self-righteousness like the chief priests. In order to save us from our conceit like Paul's hope for Philippi. In order to save us from being all talk and no action like the people of Israel in Ezekiel's reprimand. Because the truth is, one son might do God's will, but neither in this story are obedient. God calls us to act, to serve, to believe, and sometimes we fall short. None of us are fully obedient to God. We fail to follow through with our intentions, to recognize our own responsibility to act in our world. We fail to regard ourselves with humility, to serve God and to serve others. We fail to recognize Jesus' authority in our lives, to trust and to believe. And even when we fall short, even when we don't do our Father's will, Jesus still empties himself for us. Jesus still humbles himself for us. Jesus still goes to the point of death, even death on a cross, for each and every one of us to bring us forgiveness, to bring us faith, to bring us humility, and to bring us truth, so that in truth we can know our history and our responsibilities and we can act. So that in humility we can regard ourselves not as better than others, but follow God's call to serve. So that in the faith we have in God's forgiveness, we can believe in God's power in our world, we can be God's hands and feet, and we can do the will of God, our everlasting Father. Thanks be to God. Amen. Amen.